you know that thing where a song comes on the radio or like in a restaurant or in like you know a playlist that you've never heard before in your entire life it's maybe a band or an artist that you've never heard before these lyrics are all brand new this is literally something that you've never ever experienced before and then you look at somebody who is a friend of yours or that you are slightly close to say even a coworker, and they are lip syncing the lyrics to this song so not only have they heard this song before but they've heard it enough times that they know every single word by heart i find that to be one of the most disorienting experiences ever because it's like not only does this entire world exist where people have heard the song that i'm hearing but this friend who I thought I knew, who I thought I understood, is part of that world. Maybe it's a completely popular song that I've just literally never heard of. Where have I been? Have I been asleep? Okay, that's just incredibly disorienting. I came upon this very juicy celebrity information. And I thought, oh, everybody's gonna be talking about this when they find out. Of course, I hit the Goog. I go on Google and to my horror, not only has everybody already been talking about this, but like they've been talking about it for decades and I just didn't know about it. I mean, there's so many articles, not decades, but definitely at least a decade. That's so long. How are, how is nobody talking about this? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get on it. Are you ready? This information, comes to me through so many sources that I might just have to put in the show notes how many websites I read to prove that this was true. JLo doesn't sing any of her songs. JLo has not recorded a song. There, I said it. And I think that that's interesting information because personally, I was never really JLo's voice is it like I, I never it was never that I thought that she was untalented it was that I always thought that she was mediocre at best here's what JLo has going for her she is stunning I don't understand this woman has never aged she is somewhat talented in like acting I love the movie enough I've watched Selena so many hundreds of times that I can barely keep count of it and every single time I think I can stop Yolanda from killing her, but I never can. I think my skills are almost there. But she's never sung a song. I'm going to play you a couple of songs that JLo's recorded, and then I'm going to tell you who is actually singing. Okay? Now you'll have to bear with me because I am just sort of going into this with, um, I'm having to like do a Spotify search while I am, while I'm doing this, but here we go. This is maybe the first song of JLo's that I really, really liked. Okay. Here, let me, let me get ready for it. I'm gonna put this right here. Perfect. Okay. This is a good one, right? You know this one. Uh. Skip to the part where she's singing. I get my body up out my seat. I grab a guy and move my feet. He's playing my song. Play. I love that song. I think my favorite part of the song is when she cusses. She's 
like, I've come up to you four times. Play my motherfucking song. I love it. That's Christina Milian. You know Christina Milian. She's on, she had a solo career for a little while. You know who that's not? J-Lo. Okay, let's play another one. Okay, this one, I love this song too. Murder Inc. <laughs> you never had to be this way. You should have never played the games you played. Now I'm seeing that you're kind of lame. Who is that? That's not J-Lo. That's not J-Lo. You may have been fooled to believe that it's J-Lo. It's not. Who is it? It's Ashanti. You know Ashanti. We all know Ashanti. She also had a solo career for a little while. All right, here comes another one. So that song is really fun um, because it's not J-Lo. Again, it's Ashanti singing. And what's the name of the song? I'm Real. I have to tell you that while I'm playing this on Spotify, sometimes when you like play a song, you get little pieces of the music video in it. And I'm looking at this and I'm looking at J-Lo dance. She is so beautiful. My God. Like... And I mean, she just glows her skin. Oh my God. Do you remember the early nineties when JLo's whole like vibe was like beige? Like not like that she was boring, but like she was always wearing some beige, like a beige sweater or like a, like a cream colored dress. She, and it just made her skin glow. Like she was, oh my God, she's so stunning. She's like a pearl. Okay. I'm going to find, I've got two more that are going to blow your freaking mind. This is another one. So that one, My Love Don't Cost a Thing. This is one of her hugest hits. The video was so weird. Do you remember when she's like walking away from this guy's mansion and just like taking off diamonds and throwing them into the ocean? <sighs> she actually really recently tried to get people to do like a TikTok challenge where they do the My Love Don't Cost a Thing challenge. And people were like, what are you saying? That I should be throwing my jewels into the ocean? I don't have any jewels. I don't have anything expensive. What are you saying? What a weird world she lives in. So My Love Don't Cost a Thing that's an artist named Canella Cox, who we're all not very super familiar with, but we should be because she sang one of the greatest hits of the early 2000s. And then one more, one more song with another ironic title. Oh boy. Okay, check this out. Children I know where I'm from, you hear locks in the air. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of this.
She literally said her own name in that song. Not just Jenny from the block, but she says, J-Lo, who is it? Natasha Ramos, another artist we should know. We don't know, but we should know because she sang one of the greatest hits of the early aughts. J-Lo doesn't sing any of her own music. Why is nobody talking about this? I feel like this should be headline news, but this is the first I'm hearing of it. I feel lied to. I feel completely taken advantage of. I demand an apology from J-Lo. How dare she not record any of her own music and be able to sing at the inauguration? Okay, I'm stunned. I hope that you're stunned too. I hope that this is coming as a shock to you because if you already knew this too, then I don't even know what planet I'm living on. Anyway, that was breaking. We're best friends, best friends, best friends Hello, my friend. Welcome back. Welcome back. Here we are, episode four. Can you believe it? Can you believe there are four episodes? I'm actually starting to get a lot more comfortable recording than I was before. You know, I mean, a lot of it probably has to do with this wonderful microphone. I definitely feel incredibly legit while I'm using this microphone. I mean, you know, like save for the fact that I'm still sitting in my bed on a heating pad. And uh, the thing that the microphone is resting on is a stuffed raccoon. Um, but it works perfectly and I don't have to bend too forward to do it. It doesn't cause too much pain because I am a thousand years old and I am still in horrific back pain. <laughs> it's great that I can laugh about it because the existential just drama of it is is hugely depressing. Um, well, here we are, though. Episode four of Four Shay by Jen, a podcast by me, Jen. For my best friend Shay, an audience of one, and we are, we're on episode four. I do have a really good show planned for you today. There's a little bit of bitterness. There's a little bit of laughs. (laughs) I mean, there really is bitterness. That's why it's really funny. (laughs) Um, I don't really have a lot of business right up top. I think that, you know, I've been typically starting every episode, you know, except for the first episode with, you know, some podcast business. You know, we talk about if we have any more viewers or if there's anything new with the podcast, but I don't have anything to report this time. Although, I mean, you know, I, according to my analytics, we went down from 11 listeners. Did I say viewers? I wish. Uh, No, I don't. I do not wish. Um, We we did go down from 11 listeners uh, to 10 listeners which is fine. I mean, look, are my feelings hurt? Yes. You know, am I taking it as like a personal rejection? Yes. But am I dealing with it like an adult does? No, I'm kidding. The interesting thing about my analytics, and um, I, I just want to be perfectly, perfectly honest with you right now, is, you know, I can see, I can check in every single day and typically they remain the same right? There's only like, there's something like 25 listens, which means that um, the podcast was turned on and listened to all the way through top to bottom, uh, 25 separate times. Um, And I I, I thought at first that maybe that was me. (laughs) 
I mean, wow, we are really bringing all the honesty out. Um, because I do typically, once it's posted, listen to the whole thing on Spotify because it sounds different than it does on Anchor. And like, you know, because it's it's a little bit more put together. The segments run together smoothly, whereas on Anchor, you have to wait for each separate segment to load. Um, and also because I both love and hate the sound of my own voice. So I just sit there being like, oh my God, listen to the way I talk. And also being like, oh my God, listen to the way I talk. Uh, so I thought, I've been thinking completely honestly for five weeks that the reason why I had high analytics was because um, it's not high. I don't know why I just said high. 10, 10 listeners is not high. But I've been thinking this whole time uh, that perhaps it was me. Uh, but I actually was able to look at the locations of these listeners and strangely 3%, 3% of the listeners are in Mexico. And I need an explanation because I don't speak any Spanish. I think I I feel I feel remarkably unprepared for this. Um, and <laughs> I I, I want to do right by them. But I know that anytime I attempt to speak Spanish, I sound like a fool, like a jackass. I just want to do right by them. I, they deserve the best, just like you, Duche. I, I, I need to do better for them. I need to do better for my Mexican listeners. Um, it was just a surprising thing to find out about. One thing uh, that I did want to touch on a little bit of uh, a little bit of a like a questions corner. You were like questions corner. I should actually write like a jingle for that questions corner where I answer your questions. Uh, that's workshopped. I don't. I don't. I don't really like that one. Um, I wanted to address some questions from the previous episode. One specifically. Um, last episode's tea was about a TikToker who actually just suffered through a very terrible breakup uh, with a woman who has just been lying to her for a very long time and has her grandmother's engagement ring. Like, she just glossed over that super quickly. I don't know if you remember. She's just like, she has my grandmother's engagement ring and then just kept going. But she still has it. The woman still has it. And like, that to me would be my my number one focus. That to me would be the thing that drove me. Because, you know, like rage has a way of doing that. And for me, it's justice. I feel like if I could be a vigilante and not like technically kill anybody, what I would like to do is be a vigilante that just like caused great inconvenience, right? Like. Like, you know, it, like I, I hate this person. And so I'm just going to make sure that um, their oil tank, that they have no gas. And then I'm just going to shut down every gas station within a 10 mile radius of their house. Also, somehow give them a laxative because then <laughs> they won't be able to get gas like very easily. And they'll probably shit their pants. See, this is how my brain works. I'm like, I, I just want to I just want to horribly inconvenience you. I don't want to hurt you. Or kill you. I, I just I just want you to just have a bad day. Anyway, somebody needs to get that ring back for that girl. That, that That's not fair. Also, I just said, girl, that's inappropriate. I did find out this week that the TikToker that I am referring to is 30 years old. And I believe I shared a picture with you of this delightful woman. And she, she is 30. She is not look 30. I know I'm one to talk. 
um, I get a lot that I look young and that's not me being like, you know, self-involved or anything like that. Uh, it's just that black don't crack and I don't believe that they're being honest with me. They say the weirdest things. I'll be like, how old are you? I'm like, I'm 41 years old. And they'll be like, no, you're not. I thought you were 22. And it's like, you absolutely fucking did not think I was 22 years old. Do I look like somebody that was born at the end of a millennium? I absolutely do not. Don't lie to me. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm tangenting all over the place. This TikToker went through this horrible heartbreak and... Um, a question was raised about uh, the first TikTok that I played uh, regarding her trauma with the LDS church, the Mormon church. Um, she was talking about having to have conversations with her bishop about uh, sexual things, right? She called it doing her nails, but I think we knew what they were talking about. Um, but yeah, this is definitely a thing uh, that was going on. And, and I, it's funny because in the cold open, I mentioned uh, there being a thing that you uh, have never heard of, but somebody else is so familiar with it. It just makes you feel like you're part of a completely different universe. Um, yeah. So th this has been an issue for as long as there's been a Mormon church. It has been so important to them to ingrain the idea of purity into the minds of um, young men and women growing up in the Mormon church, that it is required for them to have these meetings with their bishop. And the meetings start um, at the age as young as seven, all the way up until you're married. These men, these bishops, and yes, they're always men, <laughs> the patriarchy, am I right? Um, these men are, you know, the gateway from these children to the celestial kingdom, to get into the temple, um, all of these things. And so not only are they trustworthy, well, they should be trustworthy. They should be considered trustworthy, of course. Not only is that the case, but uh, there's also an element of power. There's a power dynamic. If you don't answer me and you're not what I believe to be truthful with me, then I can stop you from going on your mission, from getting married in the temple, all of these things that are like hugely important to these people. Um, I want to say that it was around 2017. And one thing I'll say about, uh, it's not even, I hate it when people say cancel culture, but the, the openness that we've started to have as a society around um, sexual trauma. People are being honest now. Back in like the 50s, all the, way, all the way as late as the 80s and 90s, people just weren't talking about it. They were just walking around with their own personal shame, being like, I deserve this. Um, but it, around 2017, the kids finally started telling their parents, hey, this is what we talked about in my meeting with the bishop. And the parents are like, uh, well, that's inappropriate. The kids are walking around with this shame, this trauma as though they had been sexually violated because somebody that they trust is asking them to reveal very, very personal things about themselves. Talk about dreams and obviously masturbation, as uh, was mentioned with our TikTok friend and, you know, and other things. If you, for example, if you have a boyfriend, let's say that you're 15 years old and you have a boyfriend and you have made out with your boyfriend and, you know, you got a little turned on because it was kind of hot. You have to tell your bishop that. In a lot of cases, the bishop will ask for very, very intricate details of how you felt turned on and what you did with that. Saying things like, 
Were your nipples hard? This is a direct quote. It's it's awful. It's disgusting. I don't want to say it's disgusting, but it is. I, it, it is disgusting. 2017, they started saying it to their parents. Now, these people, the parents, most of them were raised in the church. And they've been like, oh, like, you must have misunderstood. Like, you know, they're going to defend the church. But a lot of them came forward and said that this is inappropriate. One thing about bishops that I don't know if you know, but when I heard I was flabbergasted, I was uh, I was flummoxed. Uh, bishops, they don't have any training. It's not like they went to some theological school. They didn't, they don't have a college degree in it. Like you could be a car salesman and be the bishop of some ward. It's a quote unquote calling. They just decide that you're the bishop. So you don't have to have any sort of like understanding or experience with uh, being, having any psychological training. You you don't have to have any of that. You could just be a, a man. You're just a man who goes to that church. You know who I think would be a great bishop? Steve. Okay, let's tell Steve he's the bishop. So there's no, I mean, there's nothing. There's no vetting this. Steve is now the bishop. And so now you have to do whatever like Bishop Steve tells you to do or asks you answer the questions. Anyway, so this came about, I want to say 2017. It might've been 2016. That was a bad year. So it probably was. And it wasn't until 2018 uh, that they actually decided to make a change. You know, much like 1975, uh, when Mormons were late to the party and started allowing people of color to go to their their schools and, um, you know, take part in their leadership, priesthood, etc. They were really late to this party, too. Uh, so 2018, they made a change in policy and said that if the child does not feel comfortable having this meeting with their bishop, that they are allowed to request another adult be in the room like their parents, which is, I mean, okay. Yeah, okay. But let's go back. Say that you're 15 years old and you've just made out with your boyfriend and you got a little turned on. Do you want your mom to be there while you talk about that? Do you want to be like, <clears throat> yes, and uh, then I I felt a rush of blood go down to my, I mean, like, are you, I, I don't, I'd be like, no, mom, can you leave the city if possible? Here's some money. I'm going to need you to go buy something from the next state over, cross state lines and don't come back. It's embarrassing to tell your parents about sex. It's embarrassing to tell your parents anything about sex. I don't know if it's more embarrassing to tell your parents about sex or your bishop about sex. But either way, it's embarrassing. So I don't know if that is the solution. I obviously have very intense feelings about quote unquote purity. There's something strangely incestuous about it to me, uh, like the promise ring and the purity balls and how the kids, the girls, they wear those dresses that look like wedding dresses and they dance with their dads. Like, what is that? (laughs) What is that? Why? but who am I? I am nobody. I am a humble, not known podcaster. So I'll just let that go. (laughs) Anyway, all of that was really dark, but I did want to get into that information because I did just let that info fly right by in the last episode and I didn't say anything about it. But like I said, we do have a great episode uh, for you today. Uh, Cocktail hour is going to be a little bit different uh, than you expect. But uh, there will be a cocktail hour, so let's get to it. 
Today for cocktail hour, uh, we're going to change things up a little bit. Not that we're not going to have a cocktail. We are. I'm just not going to talk about a cocktail that I love. So typically we've been talking about things that I just find absolutely delightful, which I realize that I say way too often <laughs> when you hear your own voice and you're like, oh my God, I've said delightful 37 times. What's wrong with me? Um, I usually talk about a cocktail that I really, really love and just, you know, I'm excited to teach you about and to hopefully get you to make in your house. Uh, but uh, this one is, this is not that. This is not going to be that. And the reason why I'm not talking about a cocktail that I love is because I am talking about my arch enemy, my very nemesis, the drink that I wish I could escape. I'm talking about Fernet Branca. Oh, even saying it makes me angry. Fernet Branca. Fernet. The worst thing about Fernet. And, I, and I'm telling you right now, there are so many things that are terrible about Fernet. But the worst part about Fernet is that I can't even hate it in peace. I have to pretend that I like it. You know, like the way that people pretend that they liked Mad Men. Don't come for me. That is the most boring show I've ever seen in my life. Mad Men, how dare you? Fernet. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. It's a cultural practice, drinking Fernet Branca. And I don't mean for the people of Argentina. People of Argentina, your newly elected president, Juan Perón. Whoops, sorry. I don't know where that came from. Uh, they have Fernet and Coke. That's their national drink. And we're going to get to that. I'm talking about a cultural practice with bartenders. And I hate it. And it's elitist. And it makes me sick. But without further ado, let's get into it. Let's get into Fernet Branca because as much as I hate it, I'm going to try to fool myself into loving it. Uh, like, like the way that I did with Brussels sprouts. I love Brussels sprouts. But the first time I ever had Brussels sprouts, I was like, mom, why do you hate me so much? Why are you slowly poisoning me to death? Is this a punishment? You know, like, how dare you give me this tiny head of cabbage and and it, like insist that I eat not just one, but like 20 in this weird butter sauce. How dare you when I've done nothing but love you. But now I love it, right? Broccoli. There's several things like this. Seafood. Oh my gosh. I love salmon. Love it. But no, no, I, I, it's, I'm going to have to fool myself into doing this. And I'm going to tell you something. It has been years that I've been trying to get myself to like Fernet, but here we are. So Fernet Branca. What is it? What is Fernet? So Fernet is an Amaro, um, which is an Italian word for bitters. Um, you, you may hear people say Amaro or Amari, which is the plural. Um, and there are some very lovely Amaros out there. I'm going to say that some of them I like better than most just straight spirits. Oh, did you hear that? That was a big one. Good job, Abby Rue. Um, like, there are some great ones. I love Amaro Montenegro. Uh, Averna is wonderful. Um, Nonino, which is mediocre at best. Um, oh, there's just so many. And some of the, it's like, 
you know, they're not just modifiers, you know, it's a delicious, delicious, fortified, wonderful bitter, and it tastes good. There's a sweetness to it. And usually Amaro's have a really low ABV, which adds to the sugar. Um, you know, like it just, it makes it palatable, makes it easy to drink. The other Amaro's are not as viscous as Fernet, but Fernet comes out swinging. Fernet hates you and doesn't care if you know it. Fernet is viscous. Uh, it is known for having like between 20 and 30 different herbs in it. And nobody knows what they are. Nobody knows the balance. It was created in 1845 by a monk in Milan, Fratelli Branca. And he won't tell anybody. I mean, well, won't tell anybody. He did. <laughs> he the most did. Uh, when it was created, it was a tonic really similar to um, Angostura bitters. Um, it was supposed to be, it was actually supposed to like help with cholera. Uh, so um, if that gives you any indication of the severity of the flavor of Fernet Branca, it was supposed to cure cholera. Imagine if people in like 200 years are doing shots of whatever we're doing to cure COVID-19. Just think about that. Anyway. Yeah, obviously it didn't cure cholera or a stomach ache or nervous disorders. That one's kind of funny. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so anxious. Here, do this shot of gasoline. Anyway, so after a while, it's like it, cholera kind of came and went. Uh, Fratelli Branca started to invest in marketing. It actually became super popular in Argentina, like I mentioned earlier. Um, and they like to drink Fernet and Coke. Fernet and Coke is so popular in Argentina that it's considered the national drink. Over there in Italy, however, they're putting it in their coffee. They're having it as a digestive. That's right, they are sipping it out of a cordial glass when they get done with their delicious dinner of wonderful Italian food, or as the Italians call it, food. So, in 1907, uh, that's that's when uh, Fratelli started, um, you know, distributing. He became a distributor, um, and it didn't actually get. Uh, oh, actually, here's another thing: the main distillery was obviously in Italy, uh, but it became so popular in Argentina that uh, they that they created a distillery over there. Um, in what's new, Buenos Aires? Sorry, I I can't. I can't talk about Argentina and not saying Evita. Like, it's just natural. Um, it, uh, I want to say after World War II, like in 1945 or something, uh, is when we started to get it over here in the United States. So Amaro's aren't super popular. But the thing about Fernet that I find the most fascinating and also the most irritating is that now it is considered the bartender's handshake. How gross is that? Do you like that? Do you like that there's something out there that's called the bartender's handshake? The bartender's handshake. If you go up to a bar and you order a shot of Fernet, that's you telling the bartender that you're a bartender without telling the bartender that you're a bartender. And in my humble opinion, there's very, very little reason that you have to tell anybody in the service industry that you too are in the service industry, much less that you're a bartender, unless you're being like, hey, you know how you're behind this bar and you're a lot cooler than I am? Well, I just wanted to let you know that you should know that I am also very, very cool. I'm going to drink this poison now. Um, 
The other thing about it being the bartender's handshake, of course, is the Fernet coin. And here's the thing. With my immense, immense dislike of Fernet Franca, I own a coin. I do. I do. I've been living a lie. (laughs) My adult life is based on this lie, and I just keep living it. I just keep going along, living the lie, and pretending that Fernet is my jam. Bottle of Fernet comes out. I'm like, oh, yeah, pour some shots. But inside, I'm dying. Like, I'm actually dying. My insides just collapsing on themselves. Anyway, the thing with the Fernet coin is there's a little practice. Uh, Every year, Fernet makes these, these coins, these collectible coins. Um, and they're, they're pretty, it's actually a kind of a cool thing. They're pretty heavy. It's like a big, it's like the size of a, like a, like a silver dollar. They decide, they put like on one side of it is like this globe, which is what their like images. That's what, you know, they put on their bottles. And on the other side is whatever image they decide is what they want to be the image of that year. And then they have these little conventions um, and they'll like go to some bar, some like really cool like hotel bar or something like that. And um, they'll only bring like 150 coins. And it's like, like through the grapevine because they don't advertise. Bartenders show up at these events and then there's like drawings and games and prizes and you get a Fernet coin if you win the drawing. I went to one of these. I did. I went to a Fernet event. I went. It was horrible. Uh, I was at actually a very cool bar that I wish I could go back to called Henley. But COVID, you know, ugh, in close places, yikes. Um, and I got, I have the, the Fernet coin. What's the significance of the Fernet coin, you ask? That's a super good question, Shay. Yeah, um, the, the significance of the coin, here's the practice. Here's the thing. You have the Fernet coin. You keep it on your person, always. You know, did you win it at a Fernet event? Maybe. Maybe. Did you get one off of eBay? You absolutely can do that. They're overpriced. Did a bartender give you the coin? That's the best way to get it. Did a bartender who is retiring from the biz give you a Fernet coin? That's the best way to do it. So you have your coin. You go to a bar. You put the coin on the bar. If the bartender also has a Fernet coin, they present their coin to you. If the bartender has a coin, you purchase the bartender a shot of Fernet. If the bartender does not have a coin, you get a free shot of Fernet. Both of those sound like punishments to me, and yet how psyched was I when I got this coin? It's embarrassing. It's always on my person. It's always on my person. And that event was overcrowded and the drinks were overpriced. I will never, I will never let go of the shame of living this untruth for most of my life. And yet here we are. It's such a disappointment. But listen, I'm still going to hold out hope that someday I'm going to love Fernet. I'm going to love it. I'm going to keep two bottles in my house because I'm always, I just don't want to run out, you know, the way that I do with lime juice or Diet Coke You always want to have one on hand. I believe with my very soul that someday I'm really going to like Fernet because there was a time that if somebody handed me a shot of Patron or even a nicer tequila and I took that shot, 
the cold, icy finger of I'm going to throw up in public would trace right down my esophagus, landing like a fist in my stomach. And now I love tequila. I, I, I have belief. I have faith. That's all you can have these days, right? Bottoms up. Well, what I wanted to talk about today for cocktail hour is, you know, something that's sort of like a, a passion subject of mine, as absurd as it sounds. Um, I, I mean, you know me pretty well and you know that I always sort of uh, subscribe to any kind of magical thinking, whether it be like manifestation or, you know, uh, astrology or, um, you know, just any kind of belief that something magical is a driving force behind everything. Um because you have to. I honestly feel like walking around and just believing that this is all there is has to be the most depressing life. And you can't prove otherwise. I mean, I suppose that you can scientifically in some cases prove otherwise. But I tend to believe, I tend to err on the side of magical for the same reason that a lot of people don't. Um, like, you know, for example, God. I, that's a big subject, but God. Um, I tend to err on the side of believing that, you know, there's there's a force larger than me that's at work um, because nobody can prove to me that there isn't. There's no actual way that you can tell me that there isn't something at work that is bigger than me. Um, anyway, but the, but the passion subject that I that I absolutely wanted to talk about uh, in in this Fernet Branca cocktail hour is my favorite of uh, my magical thinking and that is g -g -g ghosts. You know me fairly well, like I said, and you know how much, <laughs> how much I love the subject of ghosts. I'm, I'm fairly obsessed with it, right? Like I, I, I love to watch ghost shows. I watch them all the time. I watch them to relax. Um, some people are like, that's crazy. Those things are terrifying. And I understand that. Like, I can get behind it. I understand why people are afraid. Um, because it's something that you can't see and you can't fight. And I totally get it. I'm here for that. But I want to see it. I don't want to fight it. I want to talk to it. Okay. I watch a lot of those ghost shows. Um, I don't really like the ones uh, where it's like those kind of creepy, greasy white guys with all the tattoos. And they have like all of this like mechanical instruments that sort of, you know, determine whether or not there's a, a ghostly presence. I'm not here for I don't like that. I don't like that at all. What I do like are the first person narrative sh shows where it's like, you know, um, you know, con confessions of the paranormal or something like that. Right. Um, a lot of times uh, they have uh, what are they called? Reenactment actors. Those are great. First of all. I love a reenactment actor. <laughs> I will, I, I love when you're watching a true crime documentary um, and there's a reenactment. Oh my God. I have a weird love for, for reenactment actors. I'd like it if somebody made a movie of my life and only cast reenactment actors. What a strange like life they have. Their whole job is to recreate a moment in somebody else's life. The casting directors of those are so vague. Like here you'll have like a, like a very clearly Asian woman, right? And, and she's talking about a haunting in her home. And then these guys will just cast like a brunette and they're like, they're that, that's her, you know, that's, that's Mrs. Kim. Um, but you know, and they have to recreate these things just 
purely on the the words that this person is saying, but those those are great. I, I don't the reason I don't like the you know, like the ghost hunter shows, they're giving me something that I can prove is wrong. And I can prove did not happen or is not happening the way that they're saying it's happening. You know what I mean? I don't like that. I don't like that. Give me a book flying across the room when nobody's touched it. Give me a wine bottle shattering, you know, just for no reason. Just give me the shower turning on by itself. Do you know how hard it is to get the shower on? Like, it's not difficult, but it's like, it's a whole process, right? You have to turn on the tap, like the, the, the sub, the, the sub, the tub tap. And then you have to like pull like a lever of some kind to, um, to get it to, you know, change to the shower. That's a whole thing. Show me a shower turning on by itself with nobody around. Show me that. If you're hearing something in the background that is not a ghostly presence, that is my dog snoring. I'm trying to get her to stop snoring because I'm recording and she won't wake up. Oh my God. Why does everybody I love snore? Um, But yeah, give me something like that. Give me something that is just like proves a ghostly presence. Here's what I want. I want an, a full bodied apparition or an FBA as they call it in the biz. Give me a bride from the 1800s. Maybe she's sort of walking through the room, sort of morose and melancholy, you know, looking for her lost love. Maybe she's not even walking. Maybe she's just sort of gliding. And she's like, maybe she's holding a candle, you know, and it's all just sort of a glow. And she's like, where is my lost love? Oh, please give me that all day, all day, every day. You know, we used to go to, um, these old Southern manors that they do tours of uh, here in Tennessee. My favorite ones to go to are the ones that are, um, you know, like field hospitals, places where they would house Confederate soldiers who had been, um, you know, hurt during the war um, to sew them up, cut their legs off, you know, whatever they need to do to keep them out there uh, fighting uh, against the rights of uh, black and brown people. Um, I really like going into those because I think like, maybe I can stir something up. Maybe I can make them angry. Like, Hey, what's up? Hi, it's me. I'm a black woman. I have a job. I earn my own money. I'm free to do whatever I want. Um, you know, I, I own a car. Uh, (laughs) I've never, I haven't stirred anything up yet, but I believe that that is in my not too distant future. If anybody can stir up an angry Confederate soldier, I think that it would be a sassy black woman. Um, but like I said, I haven't seen it yet. Here's what I don't want to see. I don't want to see an orb. Don't tell me that an orb, you know, is a ghost. That's not a ghost. That's a that's a speck of dust. That's hair. That is a, a fluff from somebody's sweater that, you know, is a tiny bug. That's not a ghost. Don't, don't give me something that I can prove is not a ghost. Don't tell me about a feeling that you have when you walk into a room. That's something these ghost hunters always do. They're always like, oh, when I walked into the room, I just felt melancholy. Like I just started to suddenly feel sad. You know, they're like, like I have major depressive disorder. That that's any room that I walk into. Like I, I walk into any room that that's not a ghost. That's depression. You know, or when they're like, oh, mm, ugh, suddenly feel sick to my stomach. It's like, have a Snickers. You're hungry. You've been doing this all day. Like none of these are 
ghosts, I don't want to be, I don't want to be given something that I can prove isn't real because that just takes some magic away from it, right? It just kicks the legs right out from underneath it. So what I have here is a ghost story and it, uh, it comes from a publication that's not really known for its like ghost stories. Um, it's a medical journal. It's uh, the American Journal of Ophthalmology and it's the 1921 edition. So I know that you probably don't have access to the 1921 edition of uh, the American Journal of Ophthalmology. So I'm just going to read uh, from one of your from one of the articles. Now, this is a letter that a doctor sent in. It's from one of his patients, actually. Um, she's uh, in the letter identified as Mrs. H. And in the letter, she's describing like a very strange series of events that happened to her and her family starting when they moved into this very big old house um, in November of 1921. So the house was kind of in disrepair. You know, it, it didn't look good. It was just gloomy. They had no electricity. Everything was lit by gas. Um, it's just sort of a gloomy house. I'm picturing like, you know, maybe the house, uh, from the others, you know, which, you know, is clearly haunted. Um, so I'd really like to read this to you, but I feel like I cannot do it any justice if I don't have any like sort of spooky, uh, background music. So let's go. Let's see if this one would work. Let's see what do we got. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I'm here for that. Okay, perfect. So I'm going to read you the story and I'm going to jump in a couple times, tell you my thoughts. Mr. H and I had not been in the house more than a couple days when we felt very depressed. The house was overpoweringly quiet. The servants walked about on thickly carpeted floors so quietly that I could not even hear them at their work. I just love how uh, no story of this era can be complete without servants just sort of padding about. <laughs> and they had a lot of servants. Anyway, one morning, I heard footsteps in the room over my head. I hurried up the stairs. To my surprise, the room was empty. I passed into the next room and then into all of the rooms on that floor and then to the floor above, to find that I was the only person in that part of the house. Sometimes after I'd gone to bed, the noises from the storeroom are so tremendous, as if furniture was being piled against the door, as if china was being moved about, and occasionally a long and fearful sigh or a wail. Sometimes, as I walk along the hall, I feel as though someone was following me, going to touch me. You cannot understand it if you've not experienced it, but it was real. As I was dressing for breakfast one morning, B, who was four years old, came to my room and asked me why I'd called him. I told him I had not called him, that I had not been in his room. With big and startled eyes, he said, who was it then? that made that pounding noise. Who called me? I told him it was undoubtedly the wind rattling his window. No, he said, it was not that. It was somebody that called me. Who was it? And so on he talked, insisting that he had been called and for me to explain who it had been. Okay. So it gets worse. The adults and children are head down, held down in their beds uh, by unseen figures. The beds, they shake, uh, the plants all die, the children, they feel weak, 
nobody has any energy and they're starting to get very severe headaches. Okay. So all of these are just really spooky things happening on top of everything else. Okay. I'm going to go on. Some nights after I'd been in bed for a while, I felt as if the bedclothes were jerked off of me. And I also felt as if I'd been struck on the shoulder. One night I woke up and saw sitting on the foot of my bed, a man and a woman. The woman was young, dark and slight and wore a large picture hat. I was paralyzed and I could not move. Okay, to cut that off. So finally, they invite their brother-in-law to come to them. And she writes with a thought, he, he, he says that he might have an idea of what's happening. So her husband's brother comes to them in January. So it's been like three months. He comes to them and he says that he thinks they're being poisoned. So this is 1921 and he'd read a story about a family being poisoned by gas who had the same sort of like delusions. And he thought that they should see a doctor about it at once. So a quick investigation shows that the fi- that the furnace is actually sending carbon monoxide fumes into the house instead of up the chimney. And they fix that and the ghostly hauntings stop. And they don't even feel sick anymore, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's common that fumes like this um, can cause all kinds of terrible things. And, and fumes like this wouldn't just come from the furnace of an old house. The kind of gas that they were using in the gas lights uh, in that area had had as much carbon monoxide as a car's exhaust. And carbon monoxide gas can account for everything that this family went through. No question about it. Carbon monoxide poisoning can cause all kinds of hallucinations, audio, visual, feeling strange things on your skin when there's nothing there. People often report that they hear noises in their ears, whispers, sounds, bells ringing, rushing sounds. And what's amazing about this story is that it's completely traditional ghost story. I feel like everything that happened to them I've heard in, in any other ghost story. And now it's carbon monoxide poisoning. And I'm honestly so disappointed. This is the reason why I don't like stories like this. Because now any ghost story that you tell me, I'm going to be like, well, were they maybe getting poisoned by carbon monoxide poisoning? This story was the perfect story to tell. This ghost story was perfect to go with Fernet Branca. Because here you have this traditional Italian Amari that should by all accounts be wonderful. You have every bartender who is supposed to be knowledgeable about this product, just swearing by it, you know, using it as their handshake. And then you try it and it tastes like the ground. <laughs> The, the Fernet Branca is exactly like this ghost story. You are set up for something amazing and then sorely, sorely disappointed. Well, we're going to make up for this Turgon trade promise. <laughs> I'll be right back. This episode of Four Shade by Jen is brought to you in memoriam of Samantha Jones. Amars. Spend all your time waiting 
We've spent the greater part of a decade waiting for some closure on the unfinished flaming barrel of camel snot that was Sex in the City 2. There's always some reason. There was always a reason we couldn't see it. Not the right political climate, contract negotiations, or the devastating realization that these women were not best friends. We needed this distraction. In a world where every 15 minutes it seemed there was another life-altering nightmare scape waiting just outside. Maybe it was our youth, our discomfort with sex, or internalized misogyny, but we never gave Samantha the love she deserved. Sure, she's a beautiful woman who always had the laugh line, but sadly we never realized she was the queen we needed. society thought of her. Dirty martini, dirty bastard. And she never let a man get away with mediocrity. Rest in peace, Samantha. You're the icon we never deserved. All right, and it is entree time. So we've been doing a, a big, like, uh, struggle meal jag here. And this one is kind of a struggle meal um, in that it, it sounds like it should be more expensive than it is. Um, it sounds kind of fancy. It's not that big of a deal. Um, <laughs> uh, this, this struggle meal is, um, caprese spaghetti squash. I love, I love spaghetti squash. I don't understand how it got, I feel certain that spaghetti squash is just an American thing. Like, you know, we opened it up and we were like, this looks like spaghetti. So we named it spaghetti squash, but I'm not really sure what it is. It's a yellow squash. It's the one that's round and isn't shaped like, you know, an eggplant. But it is a gourd. Um, but I love, I mean, I don't think it's a good substitute for spaghetti if you're looking for something that's like, you know, gluten-free, carb-free, whatever. I don't, I don't think that it, I don't think that it ticks the mark of, you know, what we should be eating. It, it doesn't taste, it, it doesn't taste anything like spaghetti and it doesn't matter what Italian thing you put into it. My favorite uh, used to be uh, spaghetti squash carbonara, um, a recipe that I actually got from Sierra. Um, she made it for me once and I thought it was the fanciest thing I'd ever eaten. Um, but now I don't eat bacon. So uh, I was looking for a recipe to use spaghetti squash. I'm not necessarily trying to be low carb, not yet, but, um, you know, I, I just, you know, wanted something a little bit more healthy. It's not that healthy, the meal that I'm about to describe to you. So caprese, obviously that's just going to be your, uh, fresh mozzarella and, um, your tomato slices. Usually they do comprise tomato tomatoes. I liked grape tomatoes for this guy. So the way that you make spaghetti squash, you cut it in half, which is terrifying. It's it's actually really scary to do um, because the skin and the rind are very, very thick. And when you stick a knife in there, it, 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 it's just, it really scares me. 
I feel like this is how I'm gonna lose a finger, right? But you do, you cut it in half, you cut it open. Um, you're gonna take some olive oil and then you just like kind of just right, do like a once over both halves. And then this is the part that sucks. You stick it in the oven and now you gotta wait. Now you gotta wait for like 45 minutes. So don't make spaghetti squash if you're hungry right now. Make spaghetti squash when you're like, I'm probably gonna be hungry in an hour, right? Okay. So when you're about, let's say 25 minutes in, you know, maybe, maybe got 15 minutes left of this. That's not math. That's not correct, is it? No, it's not. Um, like 30 minutes in and you've got 15 minutes left. <laughs> what you're going to do is you're going to go ahead and you're going to do my favorite thing, which is put olive oil in a pan and you put a little bit of minced garlic and of course onions. This time I didn't use the sweet Vidalia onions. I love a sweet Vidalia. Actually, I love all onions, every onion except for a red onion. If I bite into a raw red onion, it's like somebody in the kitchen literally came over to my table, slapped me across the face and said, fuck you, Jen. Um, but this was a yellow onion, a little diced onion, a little bit of, you know, minced garlic and olive oil, you know, stir that around until it becomes translucent and fragrant, <laughs> which I guess is something I'm going to say in every episode now. Aromatic. Uh, you're just gonna stir that around. Then you're going to put, um, you know, some Italian flavor in there. Throw a little oregano, a little bit of, I can't think of anything else right now. <laughs> I personally put cayenne pepper in it because I put a little bit of cayenne pepper in everything. Um, so you're stirring that around. Then you're going to put grape tomato halves into this. And then you're going to stir that around. You're going to want it to get nice and saucy. Um, so the tomatoes, these ones I have no trouble cutting, if you're wondering. I still haven't gotten uh, a response on how, what the proper way is to cut a tomato so you don't get goop all over the place. But, you know, grape tomatoes nice and small. You can just cut it right in half. So you stir that around until it gets kind of saucy. At this point, it should be time for your spaghetti squash to come out of the oven. Okay. So the spaghetti squash, you get it and pull it out of the oven, you have to give it time to cool off. Trust me on this. Trust me as a human who has gotten many third degree burns because of spaghetti squash. Mm, it's hotter than you think it's gonna be. And it stays hot. You just wanna be able to grab the skin, right? It's like when you make a baked, baked potato and you like, you know, you go to squeeze it so that you can kind of make the inside soft when you're gonna put all your stuff in it. Um, but like it's it's still too hot, you burn your fingers, it's like that, except bigger, right? When it has cooled off sufficiently, um, you're gonna take one hand, grab the outside of the squash, you're gonna take a fork in the other hand, and you're just gonna scrape the inside. And these little spaghettis come off, right? It's like these little noodles, it's like it's made to turn into spaghetti. Uh, <laughs> you get it nice and fluffy, you pull it out, of the uh the like outside so it's just completely out of its shell and you're gonna put that right into the pan where you've been sauteing all that other stuff right all of the spaghetti squash goes in there and just stir it around until it's all nice and mixed and then you're gonna put it plop right back into the spaghetti squash like outsides shells i guess right so then what you do you take a bunch of mozzarella you could what i what i did because I'm fat 
is I took slices of buffalo mozzarella, just jammed it right in there, and then I covered it with Italian cheese and uh, cracked black pepper. Like I said, this isn't too healthy. Put it right back in the oven. Let it cook for five to eight minutes. Let that cheese get a little brown and a lot bubbly, and it's delish. You're going to pull it out. You've got meals for the week. I'm telling you, it's always way more than you think it's going to be. Way more food. You can have like a really nice Italian dinner, put it into a little to-go, a little little Tupperware, and then you can, I promise, eat that for like three days. It's It, it makes so much food and it stays delish. The best part about putting a spaghetti squash into your fridge and letting it set is it like you know, the, the spaghetti squash, the little noodly part, it's really porous, you know, because it's it's a gourd. It's not a noodle. So all of that, like, delicious flavor is just going to seep right into those little noodles. And, um, and it stays crunchy. That's the thing, is it's got this sort of refreshing crunch in the bite down. So spaghetti squash caprese. It's not, I mean, like I said, it is a struggle meal. It costs less than $10 to make, but... It's a little fancier than the other struggle meals. Delish. Okay, so entree time. Let's get into the meat. It is, well, it was Valentine's Day weekend. We just had it. Um, not much about Valentine's Day weekend here in Nashville. Uh, we got snowed in. First, we got iced in, and then we got snowed in. Um, but let's be real here. You know, this is, this is, the, this is 2021. This is the year of my wedding, hopefully. Uh, Valentine's Day weekend. I'm going to be honest, when I was single, and I was chronically single up until, I don't know, what, 2016? Um, I used to always be like, this year, this is going to be the year that I have a Valentine. Like, I knew, because I've worked in this industry since I was 18 years old, that Valentine's Day is bullshit. But I still wanted a Valentine and it doesn't, it doesn't help things. It doesn't help the matter that you and Richard got together near Valentine's Day because that just sealed in the, the, it locked into my brain that Valentine's Day can be very romantic. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be bullshit. It's like, it's like, it's like getting a zony. It's exactly like getting a zoni. Like, who the fuck cares about a zoni? Like, anywhere else you go in the United States or in the world, if you say, like, oh, yeah, no, I've got several zonies. Everybody's going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? What is a zoni? But if you, but like, you also kind of want to get one when you do Arizona theater. It's a thing. Anyway, that's what Valentine's Day was. But now that I'm all coupled up and have been for going on four years, um, I also know that it it's still isn't that big of a deal. And I can't say that we've ever done anything hugely romantic for each other for Valentine's Day. Now I'm saying this, you know, directly across from my life-size baby panda, stuffed panda in the corner here. Um, and directly across from another stuffed panda that I got for Valentine's Day. I'm saying all these things. These are very sweet gestures by a wonderful, wonderful man who I am going to marry. But... It's still not the big of a deal. The funny thing about me is before John, I I did have something that happened every year. Not just every year, but like every time I dated anyone. And that was that I got dumped. 
I have never, I'm going to say this, I have never broken up with anybody. I'm going to say that again. I have never broken up with anybody. Have I been broken up with? You bet your sweet bippy. Absolutely. Dumped. Ghosted. One of the two. Every single relationship prior to John. So I was sitting here and I was thinking about those guys and that time in my life when I was just getting dumped left and right. It became an office joke. I'm not even kidding you. When I worked at the melting pot, it was a joke. It would be like, oh, you have a date tonight? Are you going to get dumped? Like on the real, this was a real thing. I got dumped on my birthday once. Well, he took me out on Cinco de Mayo and we went to a taco shop and uh, it was fun and I got dumped at the end of it. Um, <laughs> there was another guy who I'm so sorry. We had like the most romantic second date I've ever had. And really great sex. Um, he had like his own bar. Like, okay, so we'd gone to this really cool restaurant. I felt like I looked really cute because um, I was still fairly thin and I had to meet him straight after work at this bar. And it was in East Nashville. And it was like the, I was wearing this shirt that was all lace except for the, the, the button part in the front and the cuffs and the collar. And I was wearing it like under a sweater. So you couldn't see that I was wearing that at work, but then, you know, going on a date after take the sweater off lace shirt, very sexy. Um, we went on, we went out there, it started to rain and I was like, oh no, like we can't do anything now. Like, cause we were going to like walk around. East Nashville, that's where we were. Um, and he's like, actually, you know, I have a garage, um, like a block away from here and it in the back is a bar. And I was like, oh, there's a bar. And he's like, no, there's like a real bar with like beer taps and stuff. And um, so we like drove over there really quickly in the rain. And sure enough, like he had this huge garage with like all these motorcycles and stuff. And then in the back, there was an actual bar with a bar top. There were like, there were just TVs, couches. It was it was amazing. Anyway, not, I don't need to go on into any detail about what happened in there, but it was great. Um, and then um, the next time I was supposed to see him and literally like we were talking the whole week and, you know, things seemed like they were great. And uh, we were I was like thinking all day, like, what am I going to wear to see him tonight? And um, <laughs> so I was like sitting there watching TV, like thinking that I got a text from him and I was like, oh, hey. And it was like, hey, I just need to be honest with you. I've been seeing somebody else and it's getting really serious with her and it doesn't feel right for me to see you tonight. And I was like, OK, thanks for being honest. <laughs> it was a text. I, um. Ghosted is more my speed. I mean, it happens a lot and it turns me into a crazy person for a little while because it's like, I just don't feel like it's right for them to be able to have that much power, but they do. But that's not what I was going to tell you about. I was going to tell you about the worst dumping ever, I think. So that's what we're going to talk about. And I promise I'm not going to cry. <laughs> was a really bad day, but I'm not going to cry. So it is the day before Halloween. No, no, we're not going to start there. We're going to go back a couple months. I was dating this guy 
I don't even remember his last name. So I'm going to say his first name. It was Justin. And I met him on OkCupid and we had an amazing first date. Amazing. And nothing even really happened. Like, you know, um, but like we just like hung out for like five or six hours, like just talking. And I like, he wasn't cute. Like, I don't know what to say. He's shorter than me. He wore Tevas. Like, he wasn't cute, but he, like, was, like, smart and interesting and a liberal and, like, just really cool. Um, it was a great first date. Hit it off. We see each other again the next week. And this just continues. Like, there's, I mean, actually, after about three weeks, we have this conversation where, like, I don't know if I want this to be serious, but I don't want you to see anybody else. So we're having the like, let's be, you know, like exclusive after like three weeks. And, um, he lived in this apartment that was in downtown Nashville, right there on Union Street. It was, it's called the Stallman. It's like a high rise. He had this amazing apartment, very, very badly decorated. It, it was comical how badly decorated it was. He has like it's like a, um, well, I guess it's a, it's a studio, but it was more like a one bedroom because there was a sort of half wall, um, going into the bedroom and then it had its own bathroom and its own washer and dryer. Um, so you go in and the kitchen is on your left and in the kitchen is a card table with folding chairs. And then over to your right is the living room. Um, he didn't have a couch, uh, he used to be a rock climber when he left Cookville. That's where he was from. He had a, like a rock climbing gym. So he had like his own pads. And what he had done is he had refolded those pads in the shape of a couch and put a, a maroon sheet over it and created this sheet and not sheet, but it was a couch like cushiony thing. He, uh, you know, and he would set up his laptop so that it would uh, screen mirror onto his TV. That was his living room. And the bedroom naturally uh, was a bed with no frame um, with sheets that were never changed. Also in the kitchen uh, was a coffee pot that I feel fairly certain he never cleaned. Literally, literally, literally never cleaned. It was brown. Like the, the, the glass part was brown. I don't know if you can hear John choking to death in the other room. Hopefully he's all right. Um, so, but nevertheless, we dated for a little while, a couple of months. I got a puppy. We took the puppy hiking. Um, the puppy was Abby. Abby is a, a fat four-year-old now. Um, you know, things were pretty good. Um, again, I, I was working in downtown Nashville. I was working at the Melting Broad at the time. And I don't know. But I think that one of the best parts about the relationship with him was that we, I mean, one of the best parts, really, we, we only got to see each other once a week. Um, my days off were Wednesday and Thursday and he had the weekend off because he had a real job, a grown up job, not, not a restaurant job. So, um, I could see him on Sunday. Um, like I could go Saturday to Sunday or if he was willing to stay up late on Wednesday or Thursday, we could see each other then. So it wasn't, we were, we weren't kind of like smothering each other, but we were always really excited to see each other. I mean, if he could like take time to come and see me, it was like this whole thing. So one day, um, 
I left work a little bit earlier than I normally would. And it wasn't my day off. Um, I think I had opened and it was just really, really dead. And so the other managers were like, you can get out of here. So I'm walking towards my car, um, which was parked on the top floor of the parking structure. And um, I realized that his like window, his like living room window looked down on the parking structure. And we were texting each other and I was like, I bet if you looked out of your window, you could see me. And he was like, I bet, like just kind of being, you know, sarcastic. And so I turned on the flashlight of my phone and I waved my phone. He was like, oh my God, I could see you. And I was like, yeah, I told you you could see me. And he was like, I really miss you. I really want to see you. And I was like, okay, let's, let's meet up. So we met up and like we were hanging out and he got spectacularly, magnificently drunk. Like I didn't, I couldn't keep up. I, I, I can't explain it, but he got blackout drunk way faster than I expected. And we went to a bunch of cool bars and by the end of it, we were walking into Fleet Street Pub and he was just being loud and belligerent. The bartender was looking at me like, you have to get this guy out of here. So I did. I was like, you have to let me take you home. I'm going to take you home now. This was the only time that we ever went out and I didn't spend the night in his apartment because I was so embarrassed. Oh my God, he was so gross. Um, and then uh, like following that, like, I don't know, he acted like, I can't, I don't really even remember all the things that he said, but he said some insane things. And following that, he had a work trip. So we weren't going to see each other, but I texted him before his work trip and I asked him if he remembered anything that happened the night before. And he said, no. So I kind of told him a few of the things and he was like, I don't, um, I'm sorry, like whatever. And he seemed totally normal. We didn't talk very much on his work trip. Then when he got back, he went air silent. So now it's the day before uh, Halloween. So he's kind of responding like, are you okay? He'd be like, yes, I'm okay. Like, like that, but he's not, you know, and I think at this point we've been together for like six months. So, um, he's like, I'm, uh, walking down to your restaurant. Can I talk to you? Okay. So those words, like, I felt like my heart drop into my asshole. I knew I was getting dumped, but here's the kicker. It was the day before Halloween. It was a Sunday. And we were having a kid's Halloween party with um, everybody in a Halloween costume. It was a costume contest, okay? So not only the kids, but the servers and bartenders too. And you know who else? You know who else? The managers. Yours truly had spent the entire week creating a costume so that I could be dressed like Hermione Granger. And when I tell you that I got the jacket like the 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 sweater and the tie like I I was I had weave then and I had like frizzed it out so that it looked like Hermione in the early movies okay knee socks Mary Janes when I tell you I did it I did it full fledged and I had to walk out of my restaurant down to the river sit down in the grass and get dumped by this guy wearing Tevas you know he said he just can't have a girlfriend right now. And 
he didn't meet somebody else. He was just honestly really embarrassed by his behavior and embarrassed that he could still get blackout drunk at his age and he needed to take some time for himself and that's fine. So uh, I was dressed like Hermione and I had to walk back to work after being dumped and manage a restaurant. <laughs> the reason why I laugh because it, it, you know, it's sad, but it's really funny is because immediately following that, because I walked in through the back door, immediately following that, um, I walked into the office and I was literally about to tell the other female manager, Casey, I was about to be like, yo, I just got dumped, but she's on the phone with a guest and the guest is complaining, um, because his card got charged an extra $20 more than he had originally, you know, when he looked at his receipt, how much he had been paid. And it wasn't what he tipped because he did tip $20. So he had tipped like, let's say, you know, he had like spent a hundred bucks. He tipped 20. So it was 120, but he had been charged 140. So we look back at his receipt and sure enough, that's exactly right. And so we look up the server. Her name is Ashley. We're like, Ashley, can you come in here? Can you tell us what happened? She's like, oh, my. listen, I'm going to do an impression of her voice because she's so Southern. She used to work at the Cracker Barrel and she belongs there. She was like, oh my God. Oh my God. I feel so stupid. Um, oh my God. Like I must have like seen the number and then like, then like added it again or something. I think that maybe he gave her like $20 cash. That's it. And then she added it in at the end. She's like, oh, I feel so stupid. I'm so sorry. Like, am I going to get written up? And we're like, no, no, no. I understand. Like it's, it's okay. Just go back out there. I should say that I'm still dressed like Hermione Granger. Casey was dressed like a whoopee cushion. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I think that Ashley was dressed like a card, like the queen of hearts. So we get to talking, Casey and I, and we're like, do you think that she would do that? Do you think that she would like change credit card slips? And I was like, I don't know. She, I don't know. Like, I don't know what that seems like she doesn't seem like the type he's like she's like are you sure because she seems a little sketchy to me i bet you she would let's go look at her credit card receipts so we go into like the end of month box it has all of the receipts sure enough every single shift she had at least once sometimes up to three times for the past four months been changing credit card tips Every single shift for four months, this full-time employee had been changing credit card tips. So now, having been dumped and dressed like Hermione, I had to call my boss to come down to the store and look through all of these fraudulent charges with us. It was a bad day. But I thought that it was funny that I probably had never told you about that story. <laughs> I will promise you, though, that um, I did actually have some really nice wine at home. I went home. I had a drink uh, with my dog and I told her, hey, we're not going to see Justin again, but that's OK because I got you, girl. I'm going to take care of you. I it sounds like a joke, but I actually did have that conversation with my puppy. And I did. Here we are in this lovely apartment with our betrothed who hopefully hasn't choked to death in the kitchen. <laughs> And that was Andre.
This episode of Four Shade by Jed is brought to you by Kitty Cat Paws. Kitty Cat Paws are by and large the most wonderful thing on the planet. Kitty Cat Paws are small, no larger than the size of a cotton ball, yet somehow contain the strength to be able to carry any kitty cat from the teeny tiniest little kitten to the biggest chunkiest boy in the world. Kitty Cat Paws are soft. So soft. You can tell just by looking at them that kitty cat paws contain multitudes of softness particles. Go ahead and try to buy yourself the most expensive internet mattress in the world. Nothing, and I mean nothing, will compare to the softness of a kitty cat paw. However, most kitty cats don't like it when their paws are touched by human hands, and they'll yank it away if you even try. Forbidden soft. That's why if you've ever had the ability to delight in a kitty cat paw, you should consider yourself blessed by the Almighty and the angels above, for you have had a joy that not many people have had. However, there is one more catch. Kitty cat paws contain claws. Danger soft. Careful, wouldn't want to get yourself sliced and diced. Now I know this isn't a real podcast and this isn't even a real product, but if I had the access to an offer code, I would give you one because everybody in the world should have the ability to touch a kitty cat paw. Kitty cat paws, delight in one today. It's fresh and So this episode's tea is, it's, I'm going to be honest, it's kind of lukewarm. You know, it's not super spicy. It's not boiling hot. And the reason is that a couple of weeks have passed since this story broke. And, you know, so like I said, it's not going to be super hot tea, but it is sweet tea because it comes from the South. So there's that. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, like, honestly, any social media, any website you went on, you would see something about this. Um, and trying to like shield you from being told the same story like over and over and over again. I was like, don't go on social media. And you did it. Meanwhile, stories are breaking all over the world and you're like, I need to go on social media. So obviously, but you know, it occurred to me that the reason why I was seeing all this stuff is because I love mess and I love drama and I love a scandal. And um, obviously social media it all knows it's all an algorithm so you know everybody knows what you're looking for so that was probably what was uh given to me um but this this is uh this was a couple of weeks ago and it was in the city of stinnett texas it is uh kind of a small town in texas not super well known and uh who this tea is about is their uh police chief jason collier okay so he, uh, I don't know, he, he's a pretty, I don't know, he's a pretty pure guy. Like, you know, like he, he's the, he's the police chief. He's also an ordained minister. He's married to his high school sweetheart, whose name is Opal. Um, they had just celebrated their anniversary and all of this is just, you know, lovely and very small town and blah, 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 blah. So, <laughs> There's this woman named Cecily Steinmetz, and she shares this photo of her and her boyfriend. And it's, you know, just cute. Like, they've been together for, I want to say, a year, maybe. And it's just a harmless photo of them just looking romantic and cute. And they're, you know, like, just really, she's just really pleased with how cute they look. And then just a couple of hours later, she adds a comment, an update in the po- in the comments uh, that she knows that he was leading a double and triple life and um, that, you know, she said something like, 
uh, try not to make your post pub or try not to make your post public if you know that your wife can see things or something like that. So in the comments, which was a this was a public post of her and her boyfriend, another woman comes out. Her name is Christy, and she starts commenting on this post. And we've come to find out now that Cecily and Christy have both been dating uh, Jason Collier for months. And they are both engaged to Jason Collier. Here's where things get interesting. Both of them had suspected in the beginning of the relationship that uh, that he was married. And so he had texted both of them separately a photo of an annulment announcement. Like, not an announcement, but like an annulment. A, a court-signed like annulment uh, from his wife. So they both believed that he was single and that's, you know, why they both, you know, continued dating him and they both got engaged. So this lights up because there's nothing more scandalous than somebody putting a photo of their boyfriend on Facebook and it becoming public and just people commenting, oh yeah, that's my boyfriend too. And I think that another woman appears in the comments too. And they're comparing stories and obviously by stories, I mean lies, lying lies. Um, and like, you know, oh, well, you know, I, I couldn't come over because his window was broken. Oh, he said that his son broke it. And then Cecily says, oh, no, actually, that was my son that broke it. Or finding out that, you know, they were all um, like, you know, Christy and him were having like sexual text conversations while uh, while he was with Cecily or in his wife's house, like on his way. Like it was all very, very scandalous. And you would think that would be where it ends. Cecily does tag uh, the city of Stinnett in one of her comments saying like, this isn't who you want to represent you. You need to think twice about this. And I want to tell you that this got so big. Okay. This got so public. It had been shared like 500,000 times. And that's not even a joke. Strangers are going to the police department in Stinnett, going to their Facebook page, going to their Twitter and blowing them up about this story. Like it got huge. It got so big that the police department, they shut down. Well, first they said, we're aware of the thing that's happening in social media and we're looking into it. And then they just shut down their page. They just shut it down. <laughs> and then the public, the the vultures, they just went to like the city of Stinnett's Facebook page. I mean, they were going to any first responder, the, the fire department, you know, <laughs> like the EMTs. They were going anywhere and talking about this Jason Collier guy. It gets better. Okay, it gets better. So it gets so big on Facebook that um, <laughs> there uh, there was a Facebook group uh, created and it had the last time I talked about 110,000 members and it's called like uh, Jason Collier Netflix special or, or <laughs> Netflix series or something. Literally, it was an entire group that was formed just on the concept of uh, this crazy life of this Jason Collier, this cheater, right? So, um, you know, it, it's a lot of, it's a lot of women in the group. And honestly, there's nothing more powerful. Oh, Jason Collier Netflix series, there it is. Um, there's nothing more powerful than a lot of uh, women searching the internet for proof of things um, like, <laughs> you know, we can all, we can all just like, I don't know, 
when you want, when you're trying to prove somebody is has done something wrong and you put your mind to it you are are very powerful but you and four of your girlfriends even more powerful now if you think about thousands of women that all want to stick it to a cheating asshole i mean you're talking about you know enough power to run the universe so this 110,000 members strong group gets to looking at it and it appears after what they've found that at least eight women, eight women were involved with Jason at the same time. They created a flow chart called We Need to Talk About Jason. And next to everybody is, it's like, has he proposed here? I'm just gonna read some of it. Cecily was the first woman to come forward and post a picture of her fiance, Jason, when she found out that he was married. Christy is the second person to come forward. They were engaged uh, after seeing Cecily's post. She was also engaged to, to Jason. Opal, his wife, has not come forward, requests privacy at this time. This is another one, M, it's his first wife who has also publicly not come forward and is requesting privacy. Katie was allegedly involved with Jason and she when she discovered the post. Jason messaged when it was all starting to hit the fan that he was not in a good place and that he couldn't see her. So he dumped her when it was starting to come out what was happening. Angie, also engaged to Jason in a Facebook response to Cecily, it claimed that Jason did the same to her in 2007. I don't know if it's been confirmed. Heather, in a Facebook response, met Jason through a dating app. They were dating from November to December uh, 2020 and posted photos. So she posted photos. Obviously, they're not engaged now or dating now, but that was when and during the time that he was with Christy, uh, Cecily, and Katie and his wife, Opal. Okay. Uh, there's an unknown woman and a former acquaintance of Jason that came forward and stated that between 2005 and 2006, Jason was allegedly caught cheating on his wife with an 18-year-old girl. Sarah, tagged in comments as a possible fiance, has not come forward. So that's another, that's a third fiance. Brianna posted screenshots of uh, text messages between her and Jason. So this is another woman. Um, Amy met Jason off of a dating app, only went on one date, shared screenshots from the dating app. So all of these people, like they have all this proof. There's a couple of unknown people uh, that came forward with no names. It gets better. This is the best part. Jason uh, sends an apology video to like two of his girlfriends, maybe three, who knows. Um, thinking that, you know, if he was just like, I'm, I'm so ashamed of myself, like I'm not in a great place and like apologized that these women obviously wouldn't share it on the internet. Obviously they did because they're angry. And so everybody got to see his apology video. Then the city of Stinnett gets involved because you remember that, uh, annulment, you know, thing that was signed by the court. That was a fake and fraudulent document. He was still married to his wife and that document was forged, which is a crime. And he got stripped of his badge and the city of Senate arrested him and put him in jail. He spent the night in jail. He, I mean, he obviously posted bail. It was a nonviolent offense, but that's the story of Jason Collier, the uh, former police chief of Senate, Texas. <laughs> which is a completely wild ride uh, and 
this is just one of those things where it's like schadenfreude, just thank God it wasn't me. You love to see it. You love and you hate to see it. And I hope that that city's okay because I know they just got snowed on. And that's the tea. And that's the tea. And that's our show. Of course, this is the part where I say a bunch of names. Uh, For this episode, I have to thank, well, Kim Cattrall for being the queen that we didn't know that we needed. Uh, Frenette Branca, you'll be fine. Thanks for taking it on the chin. And every bartender that's made me feel like crap about not liking Frenette. It's fine. It's fine. We're fine. Uh, Albert Donnie of uh, This American Life and the American Journal of Ophthalmology for our ghost story. TikTok for one of our sound cues. And of course, you, my listeners, thank you so much. Of course, you're welcome to stay. But this podcast is for Shay. And we'll see you next time. Bye.